As always, it's Monday, so I'm pleased to welcome to the show now Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you doing here today? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks, as always, for the time. Always appreciate it. So I want to start with, with COVID-19 restrictions because it's been eight days now since Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry put new COVID rules in place specifically for Fraser Health and Vancouver Coastal. Though Those restrictions, of course, included no indoor social gatherings of any size with anyone other than your immediate household, uh, stopping group physical indoor activities like yoga and spin classes, and suspending indoor sports like boxing, hockey, things where distancing can't be maintained. So it's been uh, a little bit over a week, right? It's going to be in effect for a full 14 days. So it's until Saturday at midnight, I believe, right, is the time. And I'm just curious, Mm -hmm. have you seen any differences here in these last eight days? Because we talked about it last week and you said you didn't notice a whole bunch of change, but that had only been about 24 hours, right, since those rules came into effect. So here, a week later, are you noticing anything different? Not in my day-to-day life. The the traffic is a little lighter on the roads. I think more people are working from home right now, but I'm still seeing, you know, people out. Um, I had to go to a mall for to get some work-related items this weekend that I needed urgently, and there were groups of people in the mall um, that looked like they weren't all from the same household. They were socializing. People weren't wearing masks. They weren't following directional arrows on the floor. Um I did notice on social media that there weren't a lot of Diwali-related posts of large groups and gatherings, so that made me cautiously optimistic, but I haven't noticed a substantial change, no. Okay, so it sounds like maybe people are aware of the messaging, but not necessarily taking it uh, completely to heart. And that's why on uh, on the weekend here, we saw uh, some new fines actually being implemented for uh, COVID-19. I believe that would be part of the reason is clearly some of this stuff is still happening. So people who operate or permit uh, operation of uh, perimeter seating vehicles, such as party buses or limousines, um, now they're going to be subject to a $2,000 fine uh, for the company, of course, if you are taking people out on social gatherings or $200 if you were in those social gatherings. We've talked about fines here a number of times here, Kyla, but does this matter? Will this make a difference? I'm hoping that uh, maybe limousines and, and party bus operators, they maybe they thought somehow that they were exempt from some of these social gathering rules and maybe this is just a way to reiterate the fact that no, you still do have to apply to the same guidelines as everybody else, but do you think fines in this particular instance may be effective? This is one instance where I think the fines are likely to be effective because the fines are aimed not just at the people who permit the operation, so whoever's hiring the service, but also at the limousine companies and drivers themselves. And the potential of facing a $2,000 fine when you're out there driving a limousine or driving a party bus, which is obvious, when it's on the roadway. Everybody can tell what type of vehicle that is. You know that the police are going to see you. You know that you're likely to be pulled over. There's no reason for them to take that risk when they could expose themselves to a $2,000 liability just for going out. So do you think because they are more visible, right? I mean, no one is watching a limousine drive by or a party bus drive by and say, oh, that's probably an empty vehicle that someone's just taking on a leisurely trip. Like clearly those are on the road for a reason and it's for some type of party. So you think the fact that they are so visible is is kind of a reason why fines would be, would be would something that would actually work in these types of cases? 
Exactly. It's not the type of thing like a social gathering where you might persuade yourself that you can take the risk because what is the likelihood that the police are going to figure out that you've got 12 people at your house and are violating an order? Um, It's instead a a situation where everybody's going to notice it, people are going to call it in, and police officers are going to pull it over. So the only reason you would take out a limousine or party bus if you owned one was if it was empty and if you could assure uh, anybody who stopped you that you were not violating the restrictions. Mm -hmm. Which would be kind of honestly a little bit weird if that were to be the case. (laughs) Um, Prohibitively expensive, I'm sure. Yeah, right? For sure, for sure. Now, of course, these are the rules that are really in place. Um, I know that one specifically is province-wide, but the ones that are in place for, um, you know, Fraser Health or, um, yeah, the Fraser Health region and the Vancouver Coastal Health region right now, as it stands, as we're having this conversation, those do only apply to those areas, but I wouldn't be surprised given the increased numbers that we are seeing across the province, even here in the interior, our numbers, our case counts are going up. Uh, I imagine that there is a time and a place when we're going to start seeing these things in, um, you know, moving outside of those boundaries. Do you have any fear, I guess, um, you know, just in, well, well, I have you while you are talking from Vancouver that, you know, there was these rules in place that we're going to be there for a two week period. But if people aren't uh, abiding by those rules, you've noted you haven't seen a huge significant difference that 14 days isn't going to be long enough. We haven't really seen the numbers go back down, which I know is part of what Dr. Henry is waiting for to say once the case c- count starts coming down a little bit on a daily basis, then these restrictions can be lifted, but we're not there yet. And I'm wondering if we're going to be seeing A, the, the rules extended beyond the 14-day period, and then B, really start to move outside of the lower mainland. I have a feeling we're going to see restrictions enhanced at the very least extended. I mean, at least on Friday, we knew that case counts were still going up. Over 600 cases on Friday were announced. We had over the weekend three school closures announced as a result of of one outbreak in two clusters in schools. Um, and, And those are including places that are outside the lower mainland. So I think we are going to see the effects of this you know, trickle throughout the province. And we also, I think you and I talked about this last week, we also have the issue of people who feel like they don't want to abide by the restrictions just leaving the lower mainland, Mm -hmm. violating the travel restriction and going to their vacation property or their second home or a family home um, outside the lower mainland and bringing all of that risk connected to them outside of the lower mainland. And I'm sure that there are tons of instances of that in the last seven days. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we are seeing some of the case counts that we're uh, now noticing here in the interior coming directly from those kinds of um, things that people are doing, traveling when they, when they shouldn't be, and that's definitely a concern. I think that's all on COVID because uh, obviously we're going to continue to have conversations about this virus for a long time, and I'm sure we're going to start to see more fines come in or or more rules put in place, and we'll talk about those once they come into effect. But I did want to talk about a recent decision by uh, the BC Court of Appeal that came out late last week. So BC's top court rejected an appeal by the Delta Hospice Society to block members who support medical assistance in dying or MAID, if you will. This is something that we've been following here at NL for I don't know, almost a year, right? It was in February of this past year where the province announced it was going to stop funding the Delta Hospice because of its uh, rules that it was trying to implement for medical assistance in dying. Um, With this BC Court of Appeal decision, I mean, I don't think this is dead because I know Delta Hospice wants to take this issue to the Supreme Court as well. But uh, I would think and I would hope, you know, from your perspective that this is a huge win right now for the province of BC and for palliative care in in this province. 
this is a significant win. I mean, this prohibits people from excluding uh, medical professionals from becoming members or working at different places because of their views on medical assistance in dying. Um, and this means that that organizations like the Delta Hospice Society and other organizations that have the same viewpoint can't unfairly discriminate against people who want to do what, in my opinion, is the right thing for people who are at that point in their in their life where they're making decisions about ending their life because it is too unbearable for them to continue on. And I see this as, as a huge step in the right direction towards having a proper medical assistance and dying framework in this country. Well, my huge issue around this specific case wasn't even necessarily that the, the Delta Hospital didn't want to offer medical assistance and dying. It's that they were never considered a faith-based uh, facility, And then all of a sudden their board of directors changed and then they decided to start implementing all these faith-based rules. And that included, um, you know, not offering medical assistance and dying, something that would have been a part of the rules that they allowed at that facility prior to this changing of the board. I mean, this just seems like something that should not be allowed, right? When you admit people to a hospital and they have certain things that are in place. You wouldn't expect those things to all of a sudden change at the snap of the fingers, right? Because all of a sudden there's a new person that's been hired. Well, no, absolutely not. Especially because you have to have consistency of the rules and reasonable notice about the rules given to people when they're changing. You can't just suddenly decide to change things just because one person who happens to be in charge doesn't like the way that things are being done. And if you are that person and you're coming in onto the board and you're wanting to make those decisions, maybe you should pick an organization that is more consistent with your viewpoints. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, from the perspective of, of just having a good fit, you're more likely to cause tension if you go somewhere where you're trying to impose your beliefs on other people who've been practicing something for a while, as opposed to finding somewhere, and there are places where they don't engage in those practices because of their faith, and, and going somewhere where your viewpoints, when they are the viewpoints that are not consistent with the constitutional rights of Canadians, are in the minority. Yeah, uh, I'm happy to see this step being taken here by the B.C. Court of Appeal. We'll see if it does make it to the Supreme Court, and hopefully uh, at that point we'll see the same ruling come down and we can kind of put an end to this discussion until uh, funding issues pop up in February when, of course, uh, I'm sure we will be hearing more about this particular story. I wanted to get you out of here on this one last thing, Kyla, because uh, I found it to be somewhat humorous, and then when we talked before jumping on air here, you mentioned this actually happens a lot more often than I actually would have thought. So uh, a photocopied license plate. According to North Vancouver RCMP, an officer pulled over a vehicle last week after noticing the plates on this, I believe it was a Cadillac, but it was a very expensive vehicle. He looked at the license plates and said, hmm, those don't look quite right. So upon further inspection, the officer found out that the plate was just paper that was taped onto the vehicle. The, the owner said it was to improve the car's performance, which I don't know how that makes a huge difference at the end of the day, but how is it that a paper license plate is something that you've actually seen semi-frequently? Because I've never really heard of it before this particular story that I read, and I was shocked, and then you said, ah, that actually happens quite a bit. 
It happens a lot. Um, there are reasons usually that people are doing it. Um, for people with very expensive cars, especially imported vehicles, um, they often don't come with front license plate mounts equipped on them. And so in order to put a front license plate on it involves drilling into the body of the car. For a lot of people, that will damage the value of the car and make it look different than it was intended to look. You're thinking like Ferraris and Maseratis and Lamborghinis. Um, so they get the paper license plate because they believe that this will fool police officers and not get them pulled over for having no front plate. Uh, sometimes people do it because they're uninsured and they want to pass it off as though they have insurance. It also does not work. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so there are lots of reasons people do it. <laughs> yeah, well, I can't imagine that's a very difficult thing for, for someone to A, get charged for and then convicted for. I imagine that's a pretty cut and dry case if these ever were to make it to court somehow. It is usually cut and dry. I did see one case where somebody succeeded on the defense of due diligence. They had already ordered for their Ferrari the front license plate mount. It hadn't arrived yet, but they wanted to take the car out and drive it. So they had a decal made for the front to match their rear license plate just as a temporary stopgap. And that person was acquitted of the no front plate charge because they took reasonable steps to try and comply with the law until the special part arrived from Italy for their Ferrari. Interesting. Well, Kyla, as always, appreciate the time. Thank you so much for doing this. I learned a lot here today, so thank you, and uh, we'll do it again next week, I hope. Thank you for having me. All right, there is Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. It makes a whole lot of sense. I just never really heard of anyone putting a paper license plate on their vehicle, but once she laid out some of the reasons, well, I, I get why people might want to do it. They shouldn't. They definitely shouldn't, but I get the reasoning behind it.